Welcome to the Maintenance Maniacs podcast, focused on all things related to equipment maintenance and building operations. Please respect all applicable legislation, company regulations, and most importantly, personal confidence level. Don't attempt something just because you heard it on a podcast. With that said, here are your hosts, Chris Wilcox and Victor Grant. I'm your maintenance man. And there it is. We're a couple maintenance man. Welcome to the Maintenance Maniacs podcast. It's Chris Wilcox and Victor Grant. I'm Victor Grant. He's Chris Wilcox. For our first episode, we thought we would do an introduction for those of you who don't know who we are. If you follow us on Instagram, you've seen some of what we're about, but you might not know our backstory and our history. So I figured we'd do a little bit of an introduction here and we're going to let Chris kick things off. Uh, So Chris, Feel free to talk about yourself here for a little bit. And for those listening, we've given each other a carte blanche. So if I want to interrupt Chris or something like that to get clarification or ask a question, uh, you might hear me kind of butt in and and him for me as well. Uh, This is what we've agreed upon to do. So Chris, take it away. Thank you, Victor. So hello, everybody. Uh, As Victor said, I'm Chris Wilcox. Um, Been in... Uh, the trades for 30 plus years um, was fortunate enough to get my start dabbling it at a young age. Um, actually 14, a close family friend ran an electrical business, uh, more of electromechanical business, but uh, he used to give us the opportunity to go in the shop and uh, learn prints. Then we started building panels. Um, he started holding actual classes and everything kind of was born out of that. I did have a lot of things I like to take apart when I was younger. Um, but uh, it truly became a love when I got that opportunity to actually be in a shop environment. Uh, a few short years later, I was in high school. And uh, my high school happened to be an uh, environment where they had a large industrial arts wing. Um, I took as many industrial arts classes as I could, yet still maintain uh, the requirements I needed to graduate. Um, Junior and senior year, uh, we had a vocational school. We could opt out the last half of the day and go to vocational school. Uh, I took full advantage of that, um, enjoyed that time. Um, Took welding, took construction, uh, even took uh, autos for a while. I then had to move on and actually get a real job. So I went the route of retail. I worked for a large retailer, um, starting as a, uh, entry level position because I was only 18. They couldn't fathom that I had the skills that I said I did. So I started changing light bulbs and then I'd say after the first couple of weeks, I believe it was after the first couple of weeks, I happened upon one of my cohorts that was trying to change a ballast and clearly didn't know what he was doing. So I stepped in and helped him, showed him how to read a wiring diagram, how to choose the right ballast, how to safely replace it. And from that moment on, I became a, a lead tech and then moved on to management with the retailer. So, so Chris, I'm going to interrupt here. So yes. when you started at such a young age, did you receive any kind of, um, I don't know if it was like malcontent or something, but basically like 
why is this young kid here? Yeah, I actually did experience that. Um, and, and in some respects, I get it. Um, I've always carried myself pretty humbly. Um, I didn't come into that job. Oh, I know everything and I'm going to take over the world. Um, but everybody was well older than me, at least in their 30s. Um, the funny thing was that ballast experience, uh, the day after, everything changed. It was, hey, Chris, we're having a problem with the boiler. Have you ever worked on boilers? Answer was yes. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out how we can easily change out these uh, cracked marble tiles on the sales floor. Have you ever done, done anything with tile or concrete? Yes. Um, it was it was awesome kind of to see um, a little bit of ignorance at first turn into acceptance and then actual growth where we got away from seeing the ages involved and just got about the got about the business of, of, of the skills that we were trying to build or, you know, maybe I could teach them. That's pretty sweet. I, I always wondered that because it does seem like our industry, like the maintenance trade lends itself to an older population. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because even as I've hired guys um, later in life where, I mean, I certainly don't think I'm old, but I'm, I'm 47, but believe it or not, both guys, uh, both of my main guys on my crew currently are older than me. Yeah. Okay. I can believe that. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they both are some of the best people I've ever worked with. Um, the, uh, it's just a difference of the routes that they took in life, not necessarily wrong. It's just the routes they took. And then always having a, um, uh, a natural mechanical ability, but never capitalizing on it. So they could do things around the house. They, uh, they could do some things on the job they were on, but they didn't realize what skills they actually had. So I have a, I have a little bit of a theory when I hire people. If at all possible, I try to hire from within. The reason I do that is because I'd much rather have a guy that needs some attention but has a great work ethic than the other way around because I've had it the other way around. I have a hard time teaching work ethic being a team player. I have a pretty easy time teaching guys that have a mechanical basis, at least they're handy. I hate to use that word handy because I feel like I get it when people say it, but I almost feel a little bit insulted when somebody tells me I'm handy. It kind of takes it off. It takes like, takes like something away from you. Like, like you're not a professional here. are the professionals, but you're handy. Nonetheless, they, they have, they have a definite knowledge of working with their hands. I can build on that, but I've, I've fired people unfortunately in the past because they, they just had a bad attitude. You know, you, you give them an assignment. It's like, why, why do I have to go do that? Why can't so-and-so do it? Well, the answer is because we're team members and that guy's on something already. Um, so yeah, I hired the two guys I have right now based upon their work ethic alone. And they've, they've grown in just under two years. It's, it's actually amazing. Um, I'm actually prideful about it. You know, it's funny. I don't know, Victor, if you feel the same way, but I love what I do, but I will admit freely to anybody that it doesn't excite me as much as it once did. Now, I will tell you what does excite me, watching people grow around me, watching people's successes around me, um, that, actually, that actually gets me excited. But like I say, I don't want to make it sound like I don't like what I do. I love what I do. I wouldn't do anything differently. I, I, I really enjoy it. Just used to have 
in the beginning, it had an excitement to it. Yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely enjoy sort of training and teaching others. And I mean, I'm relatively new to this industry comparatively to yourself as far as years in. Um, But I still like, you know, every day is different, right? And that still makes it interesting to me. And, you know, one of the phrases that I've kind of uh, adopted probably within the last 10, 15 years of my life was you don't have to like your job to be good at your job. And, and, and some people think it's like, well, why would you want to do something you don't like? And I don't mean it to sound that way. I mean it to sound like it's not my dream job, you know, like not everybody can play in the NBA or the NHL. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, but, but it's a, it's a good job, but I don't have to like it every day to be good at it. Right. So I definitely, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that point for sure that it's, it's nice to see others grow around you and be able to see them progress as they kind of progress through their career path, I guess you could say. So, so, so you started young age and then you went into retail, you said, and then that was near when you were about 18. So uh, what happened after that? So I actually stayed in retail for almost 10 years. Um, I got, I got pretty much as high as you could get. I, I, I accomplished a lot of goals. We had a pretty, um, pretty lacking PM program. And uh, over a year's time, I, I, I decided I wanted to sit down and for the whole company, uh, make something better. Um, so I accomplished that. Uh, I was looking to get back into more industrial, like plant type jobs. So I had heard that a place was looking for an experienced person uh, to move equipment from a company they bought and put it into the new facility. Uh, Interviewed, guy hired me on the spot, uh, put my two weeks in at the retailer, packed up my tools and got ready to go back to industry. Uh, That was that was an interesting job. The next chapter of my life, I got to work with some um, older school folks and uh, quickly learn how to work on some equipment from the 20s. I mean, crazy old equipment, stuff we don't even really use anymore. Uh, But but I liked it because it was um, it wasn't as easy as ordering parts. We had to make parts sometimes or we had to find something that would work just as good as what was original. Uh, unfortunately, I think that an important skill that everybody should learn is one thing you should learn for sure is know your worth. And I could see quickly that they were going to put more and more on top of me and not willing to increase the pay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing is, is when I left there, the operations manager took me to dinner and I had already secured another job and he took me to dinner and I figured that it was going to go, well, we're going to give you what you want. And that's exactly what happened. And what I told him was, you know, I appreciate that, but what am I going to have to do the next time I think I'm due a raise? Yes. Yeah. I said, so I'll do respect. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take this next opportunity. So was that more of like a millwright type position that you were morphing into from the retail? So, yeah, it's funny you say that. So I would, I would, I would say part of it was only because what started out as a um, 
taking equipment down safely, going through it and making sure there's no major repairs that need to be done and done with it and then reinstalling it. Yes, I would consider that more of a millwright job. But often, and you probably run, in this, run into this yourself, things kind of start off one way and they end up, once somebody sees what you can do, they end up dragging other things into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I went there for this job of, you know, very specifically, however many weeks it took, you know, get this, get this equipment moved over. And then things on their existing lines were breaking and guys were complaining about things that just aren't quite right for many years. And they kept assigning me to do that stuff. And the next thing you know, that was only supposed to be like a couple month gig in my mind's eye. And it turned into a almost two year gig because now it transferred over to full maintenance. Gotcha. You know, once the equipment was in, it was kind of, I was thinking it was done, but it certainly wasn't. So then you morphed into that sort of maintenance role for them and then left that company, went to another industrial type employer. Yeah. So that right after that, I went to where I'm at today. So I moved on to a very large chemical company. Um, Same experience. Uh, Walked in for my interview. Uh, I was hired the same day I walked in. Uh, The plant manager at the time canceled the rest of the interviews and I started two weeks later. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a story to keep for sure. Yeah. So, well, and then and then it was funny because um, I'm not the type of person who gets any pleasure out of um, putting anybody down or anything like that. Um, but what I will say is that the gentleman I replaced at the job I still am currently at today had a very different skill set and a very different idea of how maintenance is supposed to be done. I'll say that. Okay. But I walk in the first day to start my career here and there's a note by the time clock that announces we've finally hired a real maintenance man and i'm like really that's how i'm gonna get introduced to these <laughs> new, a new note. <laughs> yeah and and then on top of it that guy retired from that job so he worked with these people for like 20 something years so i'm sure he made friends yeah. And now I walk in like the guy that's kind of like, you know, not through my words, but through somebody else's is like saying I'm better than or something like that. It was just a very awkward situation. And then, you know, it's it's funny when you work with and, and pretty much anybody can can, you know, see this when you're in a position to work with customers, you meet a lot of characters. Well, like for like us, it's usually facility managers, department managers, whatever. But this com- this guy turned out to be not such a great guy. He just didn't carry himself very well. And then, in, you know, in the end, by the time he got fired, that note made perfect sense because that's just who he was. Ah, uh, okay. I see. But, sort of a cynical approach to it. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. yeah. yeah. But um, so kind of the same story at the company I'm at now. Um, started off with, uh, you know, very little. In fact, there was... There wasn't but a little toolbox in the maintenance shop. The maintenance shop uh, was not really set up at all. Um, but the minute I walked in there, I saw so much potential that I was like, this, this is a keeper. So, yeah, and, and I've been there 20 years. And, um, you know, we now have a fully outfitted maintenance shop. Uh, I have a van for my guys that they share, um, outfitted with tools and parts, uh, my van is mine. I maintain it. I buy the tools that go in it. And, uh, you know, it's well set up for the jobs that we do. 
Um, we now run everything off of a CMMS uh, app as far as our PMs, our work orders, even our um, uh, parts, all of our inventories on there. Um, so that's not necessarily state of the art, but it's certainly state of the art from where we started. Uh, I think CMMS is something that lots of places should look into. Uh, and I, I feel like eventually the majority of people will be on some sort of an app. Uh, we enjoy it. Uh, we, I just checked before I left, not having anything to do with this, but we've been using the app we're using for a little under two years and we've done 16,600 work orders. <laughs> two years? Two years. So that, that means that you guys are very either uh, diligent or uh, I guess just very good at recording everything you're doing through that system. Absolutely. So, yes. so I feel like there's um, definite value in the work we do, but there's further value that can be dragged out of that work by recording it. Yep. So that's how we get into planned maintenance, yes. you know, yep. and predictable maintenance. You have to have X amount of data to be able to pull out those simula similarities. And the only way you're going to get it is through recording data. Yeah. And through years of recording data or, cycles, or depending how your cycle is like throughout a day or whatever of a piece of equipment. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it's funny too, because like what if I've had the opportunity to have some maintenance theory classes and um, in those classes, they talk about our goal should be to work ourselves out of a job. We should be trying to make everything predictable. Now in fairness, that's not possible, but that should be our goal. So when we look at that 16,600 work orders in, in a little under two years, we only have 600, it's either five, 560 or 600 uh, non-repeatable work orders. Those are your calls that come in. Those are, this is down, you know, that needs to be done. Oh, okay. Like the emergency type. Yes. Stuff. And, yeah, and yeah. So, so the value in those numbers is that clearly we're doing something right because the preventative maintenance we're doing is keeping the emergency calls and the shutdowns down. Definitely. So, Definitely. you know, that's what you want to see. If it was flip-flop the other way, then we're probably not doing enough with our PM system. Yeah, for sure. I kind of had a conversation similar um, before I get into to my intro here. It was about for every one day of preventative maintenance that I do, I prevent four days of reactive maintenance. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and my manager and the other ops supervisor I work with kind of looked at me and were like, I understand that. Like, that's a good way of putting it. And it, and it can be something, you know, related to HVAC systems or plumbing systems or whatever, electrical maintenance, just doing uh, thermal scans and finding your hotspots and things like that. Like something very basic. But for every eight hours that I do that, you know, I'm preventing the rest of the week of re reactive maintenance, right? So I definitely Absolutely. agree with that for sure. So it's funny you say that. Um, I had a meeting earlier in the week with my guys and, uh, you know, I try to touch base with them daily. It doesn't always happen because I'm a working manager. So I do my own workload. Um, but I wanted to touch base with them about the importance of what we do and the importance that they may not see and the importance that others may not see. And what I wanted to speak to specifically was 
safety. Whether, whether you realize it or not, the preventative maintenance measures we take save lives. If we didn't do that, and if we didn't stay diligent and do it correctly, that's the difference between something overheating and catching fire, something overpressurizing and blowing up, uh, you know, doing safety checks on guards and stuff like that. If we, if we don't pay attention to what we're doing and we don't make that a big deal, someone could lose their finger, their arm, their leg, or their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always want to tell them and make sure they understand the gravity of it because it can get monotonous. You know, we know that. You know, yeah, you, you go and check an HVAC unit once a month, it kind of gets old. But when you factor in what it's really about, I think it makes it a little more a little more easy to see, you know, why you do it. Yeah, definitely. You walk into a room and there's a squeaking bearing on a pump. It's it's not ignoring that. It's dealing with it right away kind of thing. So Exactly, exactly. So I think I talked enough, buddy. What, what, what about you? Let's hear about you. Okay, so I'm going to skip all my you know, sort of, I don't want to say meaningless, but like food service jobs and bartender and things like that. Right. I'm kind of going to stick this to uh, the trades, but uh, I started uh, in oil and gas in 2005 and I was in oil and gas trade until 2016. So I started out as a roughneck or a floor hand. Uh, Sometimes they're called on service rigs and realized that that wasn't a future for me. Um, just because of the, I want to say, monotonous repetition of that type of work. Uh, I like being able to do different things. Um, so within oil and gas, I found a, a trade to get into, which was well testing and underbalance drilling, which was a lot uh, more diverse. Uh, you get to do a lot more types of jobs within that trade. Uh, so I was in that uh, trade in oil and gas until... 2015 and then I went into artificial lift uh, focusing specifically on hydraulic lift or jet pump applications Um, so kind of a a wide range of of everything you know I've I've worked with drilling rigs I've worked with service rigs um, coil rigs uh, snubbing rigs frack crews wire line slick line like I've worked with nearly every service uh, within oil and gas Um, so my main sort of tasks were uh, dealing mainly with natural gas wells, both sweet and sour, Um, sour referring to uh, H2S containing wells. So that might be called a poison gas well. You might've heard that term as well. Um, So think similar to pipe fitting and gas fitting with uh, all kinds of piping connections like flange, threaded, hammer union, hex union, swedge lock, uh, setting up instrumentation and pneumatics, um, gray locks, which are similar to um, what sprinkler fire sprinkler systems and hot water heating system use with the compression fittings. Yep. Uh, so all that kind of stuff we were doing as a temporary well site facility before the well was fully completed, and then it would be handed over to permanent facility construction and pipeline tie-in. So we were the ones on site right after the well got drilled, Sometimes I was there for the drilling, and then we would be the last ones off-site uh, right before we handed it over to the pipeline crews. So I got to say, I've, I've always admired that industry. Never done it. I've been around it. I've even repaired some uh, uh, back when I originally started uh, for the electromechanical company. We repaired some of those pipes occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
but I, but I've often seen, you know, um, shows about it and stuff. And, and that is a, that is a rough job. I respect, I, I respect that job. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's one of those things that like, when I look back on it, I'm like, how did I ever do that? Cause like that literally there were some night shifts that I would be outside in a one piece insulated coverall with six layers underneath and it's minus 35 to minus 40 degrees Celsius. So for those who don't know the temperature scales, minus 40 is the same for Fahrenheit and Celsius. So that gives you sort of a reference point. And I'd be out there for 12 to 14 hours with my hands. Um, sorry, hands would be like coworkers, like the guys I'd be supervising. So my hands would be giving me like a hot chocolate every two hours. Just to like warm your guts. Just up, to give you, you a know? chance at having some more. Yeah, because for certain operations, you can't leave certain pieces of equipment. Because within a half a second, the equipment could plug off and then you're overpressuring pipe work and things like that. Yeah, so there, there was a very, very, uh, I don't want to use the word tough, but like mentally, it's a mentally tough industry. Like everyone can be physically tough. You know, you can, you know, oh, I go to the gym and I lift weights and I'm strong or whatever. But if you don't have that mental toughness with you, you can't do it. Yeah, that's when you get hurt, right? That's that is too. That's more when you're when your mind fatigues and i guess the the greatest example of that is uh we worked at one job and i was there for 44 days straight and when we started the job the first four days it was below minus 40 as like a high so we were setting up the equipment in that temperature and for two days we couldn't use the crane because the steel was too cold and they were afraid that the crane boom was going to snap Oh, so we couldn't use that to set up some of the equipment. So we were doing all the ground surface pipe work and all that stuff. And you would be like looking at something like, I know that this male union goes into this female union, but I'm forgetting a step. And it would take you an extra 10 seconds to do something that you've done a million times. And it was because of how cold it was and your brain was just slowing down. So we would kind of use a buddy system and be like, when you see someone going stupid, tell them to go into the shack and <laughs> for five minutes. Yeah, no kidding. Right. And it was it was kind of funny. And some of the new guys were like, well, what do you mean by going stupid? I mean, like not wire brushing the threads before he puts it together, like just forgetting a simple step like that or something. Right. And just looking at their face and seeing if it's starting to turn white or red or whatever. Right. Like just pay attention kind of thing. So. So anyway, so, so that was, uh, that was where I started. And in addition to the, the pipe work stuff, you know, we did minor electrical repairs, um, up to 240 volt. Uh, this is, you know, lighting outlets, compressors, um, centrifugal and centrifugal pumps, sorry, centrifugal and reciprocating pumps, uh, texting pumps, which are, uh, chemical injection pumps ran by a pneumatic system. Um, we also had uh, line heaters, which are similar to what a boiler would be. Um, we ran vessels, like pressure vessels, up to 2,000 PSI. Um, the boilers were up to 4 million BTU hour. So they're like massive boilers or uh, massive fire tubes in them and stuff. And with that, we would also spec our equipment to whatever was provided. So we wouldn't have propane line heaters and natural gas line heaters we would have a line heater that had a manually adjustable air fuel ratio. 
So whatever we were supplied with on that site, we could manually adjust. So now you look at grades of natural gas, raw natural gas that would be in a, a gas pipeline isn't the same as what's coming to your house to run your furnace. So the um, purity would be different. So you could go from one site to another and have to make a change, even though it was still natural gas. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Right. Um, in addition to that, so we would be setting up all of our equipment with, you know, cranes and big trucks. Uh, the cranes were sometimes up to 300 ton capacities, uh, flare stacks sometimes to 240 feet tall. So all this is all like temporary equipment too, right? So then you're talking about your outrigger um, anchor drilling trucks so that they would drill these anchors into the ground to hold these flare stacks up. And only once have I heard that they left the flare stack up through spring breakup. And this is when the ground thaws up here and they came back and it was laying on the ground. Oh, geez. Because they had drilled the anchors when it was frozen and uh, they didn't rig out in time and they had to get out of there because of the roads or else Otherwise, be able yeah. to get out. Exactly. Yeah. And then the ground thawed and the anchors pulled out. So crazy. Yeah. Kind of nuts. And then, uh, then all your basic, like small equipment, like light towers, generators, um, man lifts, uh, genies, zoom booms, aerial baskets, scaffolding, ladders and platforms, like all this kind of basic stuff. Uh, so that was all like in the field. And then in the shop, you're using torches you're doing minor structural welding things that didn't have to be like b pressure certified so like pipe racks um you know uh toolboxes crates to carry things things like that like we right. did kind of welding ourselves. and then the maintenance on the equipment that would be done during the downtime so oil changes pump packing changes gasket seals uh, painting even just something simple like that like we would all do that kind of stuff then we had our on-site office trailers. So this is minor plumbing systems with gas furnaces, electric heaters, air conditioners, and then communication systems. So a lot of it was a transferable skill to morphing into the building operations job. That yeah, I, I was now. just going to say that initially somebody could hear, you know, hear your story and kind of think, well, how, how do you end up working on buildings? But what I'm hearing is very similar things just different exactly a similar uh base knowledge base i guess yes yeah. yeah exactly yeah and then uh so one summer uh, because sometimes oil and gas is slower in the summer especially in the spring up here because you just can't drive anywhere when the ground's all thawing out um i took a maintenance crew side job at a golf course in the summer and i was working on their special projects team so it was Landscape projects, uh, sodding, stone masonry, heavy equipment operation. Uh, you know, we would construct like elevated tee boxes and fairways and down trees and do the removal of the trees, water hauling, uh, chemical moving, like all kinds of stuff like that. So then that also helped me on like the arborist landscaping side of it. So having that job gave me some more skills that I could transfer into building operations, which is good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then in 2016, um, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, depends how you look at it. Uh, I was laid off. Uh, there was probably, I want to say over 150,000 people laid off in Alberta, uh, between 2015 and 2018 in oil and gas. Wow. Um, there was, you know, 
geologists with five years university degrees and 20 years experience working at Walmart. Like it was just, it was crazy. It's, it, it still hasn't recovered fully up here. Uh, I, I unfortunately don't think it ever will be to the, the extent that it was. Um, but you couldn't shake hands at a party with five people and four of them would be in oil and gas. Like that's just how it was. Right. Wow. Yeah. It was, it's a big, uh, big industry up here for sure. So after I got laid off, I started out as a maintenance technician uh, with a commercial retail public company uh, on a three-month contract to cover for a building operator who was off work due to a slip and fall injury, uh, which occurred during the wintertime. I guess, uh, if I remember correctly, he slipped on some ice and actually broke his leg. Yikes. Yeah, so uh, they needed someone to cover for him, so... In that position, I just started completing random repairs, you know, whatever I could find at the properties and then attending whatever work orders that the supervisor was dispatching me. And my mindset at that point in life was to do the absolute best that I can at this job to force the company I was working for to make the hard decision to not hire me on full time. Like I wanted them to be like, we can't let this guy go. Uh, and then two months into the contract, they sent me a letter saying, we want to hire you full time. Are you interested? So I would say, in my opinion, that says a lot about you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> so, I mean, to be quite honest, because I mean, some people in that position would just take whatever they can get and uh, not be fully vested. And you went completely the opposite way and it paid off. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read a, a meme recently. And it started out with uh, the line, never say that's not my job. Mm. And when you when you're working in oil and gas, uh, your parts supplier, if you don't have it with you, could be 14 to 24 hours away on a hotshot truck. Not to mention the hotshot truck having to go to the supplier and get it right. So you learned to fix what you can with what you have so and because every day that you're down there's millions of dollars going out the the toilet right so so you need to to be able to make make it work with what you have and be able to prepare well enough that you could say okay what if this fails do i have that extra part with me and and do that beforehand so that you're you know well organized right right which illustrates you know yeah, it's not, I don't think it's often talked about the jobs that we do lend themselves a lot to stress because we could have the best intentions in the world, but we can't stock every part we, we absolutely need to make everybody happy. But when something goes down, it's often, well, what are we going to do? You know, it's, I find it, I understand that it's our job, but I find it easy that people walk up and say, or fill out work orders or whatever. And they're like, Hey, this is wrong. And then they absolve themselves, absolve themselves from any responsibility. It's now yours. You know, the complaints are going to come your way. Uh, you need to mitigate the job and get it done. Um, and, and rightfully so, but I'm just, it's, it's, it can be a very stressful situation and not just once in a while. It's like on the regular, you're always under the gun. And, and, and the reason for that too, and I've had this discussion with some of my uh, co-workers is everything is an emergency to who puts it into the work order system absolutely yeah like whether it's 
the building's on fire or there's a light bulb out across the parking lot. It has the same weight to that person who reported it. Yeah, I can, I can say for myself, I've actually had a few instances where I had to tell VPs. I mean, these aren't small people. I'd have to, I've had to tell VPs, I understand that you want me to do that. But by me doing that, this pump's going to stay down. And it's how many hundreds of thousands of dollars every hour the pump doesn't run? And they usually come back to me and say, oh, you know, Chris, I didn't realize that. Go ahead and do it your way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's a tough conversation to have, but you're absolutely right. It's, 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 uh, it's usually my thing is the most important. And, uh, you know, why aren't you jumping at it? Yeah, for sure. So, so I guess that kind of sums up how I got into building operations. Um, I worked at that company for four years four and a bit, I guess. And then I took a job uh, last May of 2020 with a privately owned third party management company, uh, which is different entirely too on how they run compared to a public owner operated company. Um, So, so then I've been here since then. And then uh, most recently, I guess within the last two, 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 three weeks here, I was offered an operations supervisor position. So, Myself and another operations supervisor have split the portfolio into office and then small office retail industrial. Uh, So I have a couple small office buildings within my portfolio and then like the downtown cores and the other one and then all the retail strips and industrial and warehouse type buildings. So So that's huge. That's huge news. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's going to be good. I, uh, it's something that, I've been striving for uh, ever since I got into the industry and I've been very upfront with the owners of the company and people who know me, like I'm not a guy who wants to get off the tools and sit in a management desk downtown. Kind of like you say that you're a working manager. I think I can manage people better being out in the van in the field. Absolutely. So that's, that's kind of how I see my, uh, progression, I guess, through this uh, journey, we could call it. So, so yeah, yeah I, w- I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I find in my experience that uh, it's more of a team when everybody's working, you know, everybody's working towards the same goal. Like, you know, they, they see you doing the same things that you're asking them to do. You know, I, 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 for me, just like you said, it's the only way I can do it. I'll never be able to sit solely behind a desk. Yeah, I did have a desk job in oil and gas for two years, and it was a technical specialist uh, position aiding the sales team, and then uh, doing that with both well testing and then with uh, hydraulic lift. And I have to say that those were the two hardest years of my life to work because that's not who I am. And it was just very difficult for me to put on the suit and tie and go to an office and everything was done with my know-how, but I was doing it on paper. So my skills were being used. I wasn't, you know, saying I wasn't stimulated enough to, to be doing my job, but it was just, it wasn't me. Like I would rather be putting the pipe together and running the gear than drawing out how it all needs to be put together and explaining it to the customer. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah, so I think uh, we're, we're almost near about 40 minutes or so here now. So I think that's a good start to this. Again, 
this is the maintenance ma- maintenance maniacs podcast. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Chris and I are going to attempt to complete these once a month starting out. If we start doing them twice a month or, or however we change or do a bonus episode here and there, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch on our Instagram. So you can reach us at maintenance maniacs podcast on Instagram, or you can email us maintenance maniacs podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're using the anchor app for this podcast. So if you want to look us up on anchor, you can do that too. Uh, feel free to write us a review or send us some topics to talk about. We're going to love interacting and getting feedback from people. Basically the only reason we're doing this and and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong is because people asked for it. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. This isn't some kind of self vanity project for Chris and I, Um, we're doing this because uh, we're tired of you guys bugging us is what it is. But in fairness, in fairness, I think we both love to talk about what we do. It's true. Fully, fully vested in what we do. We love it. It's true. If you look up the definition of maniac, one of the sub definitions is an obsessive enthusiast. There you go. And that's like the only one of the definitions of maniac that could apply to this. (laughs) Everything else is you're crazy or whatever, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so that's where we stand. And uh, Chris, I got a question for you. Yes, What's sir. the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Ooh, I actually know this one. One will see you later. The other one will see you in a while. Oh, yeah. I'm your maintenance man. That's what I am. I'm your maintenance man. Oh, yeah.